believe that we are in a space right now that is a great space to be in as a church. And it's in a place where we are, we are positioned for sustained, sustained revival. And I, I want to be careful using that word because sometimes we associate revival with a set of services, right? At least within the Christian context, we'll, especially in our Pentecostal context, we'll, we'll use revival or having revival. And I'm excited. I, I love revival services. I, I love to have uh, an evangelist come in or somebody come and, and they will uh, they'll speak to us and, and we'll have an incredible move of God in, in those kind of services. But, but revival is, is more so about reviving what once was dead right? That's what revival is all about. It's reviving something that was missing, something that that was there. And God's saying, let me bring you into a place of life. Okay? So revival is bringing something from death to life. And it ought to be something that is sustained, something that is continual. Revival doesn't have to be just a season. Revival can be something that we live in. We've been revived. I've, I have new life. I have been raised to life and I can live in that space that God has, has positioned us. And I believe this church that we are, we are in a, in a space now where God has positioned us to, to live not just off of a spiritual high, from a Sunday service or a Wednesday night service or a set of services that we would deem a revival, but rather we are learning to operate on a daily basis in a, in relationship with God. And that's, that is the sign of a healthy church when, when we would operate on Monday and on Tuesday. And on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, every day that it's operating in the space that God would want us to operate in. To to understand that, that He is the same God in my workplace than He is right here as you're sitting in the pew. And that God has a work for us when you are doing your, your Monday morning workout at the gym. That God can still use you and He can interrupt your day and, and He can, you can have a God moment with somebody else because you're operating in a different space. You're operating in a space that God says, Hey, you're made for this. You are made alive. I revived you and you are made alive. And, and I want you to, to be able to bring this life to somebody else. I better get into my message a little bit, but you know, I've, I've often wondered, often wondered why so frequently we come across examples of individuals who they would, they would rise to a place of prominence and, and, you know, reach this very lofty status in life, whether it be in politics or business world or even within the church and, and, and you know, see this on all, all kinds of areas of life, but 
They, they come to this place of prominence and then all of a sudden self-destruction or, or destruction, you know, they fall from grace. You see, you see people, and I've got to reach them back on some of these, but you see somebody like O.J. Simpson, who he was, he was on top of the world, one of the greatest football players uh, of his time. And, and then he fell from grace. And uh, you see another sports figure, Lance Armstrong, who he was, uh, he was great. I mean, he, he, the greatest cyclist ever. And then, uh, and then, you know, all these troubles that, you know, once it came out of, of his issues and, uh, of, of doping and, and all these things. And it, it spiraled from there. And, and we see, uh, on the pol- political side, a man like Richard Nixon that, uh, was, was a great, I mean, he was on top of the world and then suddenly he fell. And, uh, Bernie Madoff, you might remember that name, uh, somebody who, he had everything going right for him. Then it all crumbled. It all fell apart. You could, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage, disparage people, but you know, in the religious world, you could even come and, and there's one that's, you know, it was in the news often, Jerry Falwell Jr. He was, he was the leader of Liberty University. The, um, his father was, was the one who started that and great, great man. And, and then this, you know, this man, he fell from grace. He's at the top of the world and I can go on. And on and on with names of individuals who they've, they failed in one way or another when they were on the top. And when, and then everything, it came crashing down. And really those, those are just the prominent, well-known individuals. Because there's many others who they get to a place of where they're just on top and, and they fall. They don't get any media press about their, their fall from grace, but you know, people that they rise to a place of promise and they fall. And I've, I've pondered many times the reality that it's also not uncommon to see churches have a sustained period of revival where it's as if the church is doing great. And even we have experienced it where, where it's like the church is doing great, where, where you have dozens of people or hundreds of people even come and they're receiving the Holy Ghost, they're being baptized. You see people giving their life to Christ and yet this revival, it doesn't last. It's, it's like we're on a spiritual high. You're on the mountaintop and then you fall down to a, a you know, place of, of where it feels as if you're, you know, you've lost everything. And it's like, it's like there was a cycle, a cycle that the church would go through at times. And, and the, the cycle of like spiritual zeal and the vigor for, for the things of the Lord and, and vigor for the prayer and, you know, and, and then three or four months would go by and or maybe a year later. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, where's the prayer at? Where's the worship at? Where, where's, where's the witnessing at? Where's the fervor? Where's the fasting? Where, and, and all these people, you know, that, that were here during a time of revival, all of a sudden they've gone back and it's, it's like the church, it was on the mountaintop and then it fell down and it's, it's like, you know, what, what's going on? Why, why is there that cycle? See, I believe that the church doesn't have to live in such a cycle. We don't have to live in that, in that same cycle. I understand that, that even as the seasons go, that there may be times of harvest. There may be times of reaping and there may be times of sowing. So I understand that there are still cycles within the church, that there's, there is the time of the harvest, but, but yet we are living in the time of harvest right now. The harvest is plenty, plentiful. The laborers are few. And God, he is, he is searching for us to get into the fields that are ripe for harvest. 
But there's a paradigm that exists where it's not followed by seasons of spiritual drought. A place where we are understanding that even when things may see a little bit dull, that God is, is still working through us. That we understand that, that, that we are still in, uh, in the very place that God has positioned us to be. And, and I believe that there is a paradigm that we can get to, a, a space in time where, where the church is experiencing not highs and lows, but rather the church is, is operating as the bride of Christ. And having sustained spiritual impact. That it's impacting in the community. On a continual basis. That the church is continually having an impact. And seeing an influx of souls. That the, that the church is seeing a, that it's, it's on the mountaintop. And it doesn't come back down. This is what I want to speak on here today. What I felt the Lord uh, plant on my heart today. Is, is learning to live on top. Learning to live on top. See, people, they live where they are comfortable. And we, by our mentality, we determine where we are comfortable. We can live in a low-key, low-obligation environment where revival always remains something that we look forward to. You can do that. I I enjoy enjoy reading... uh, um, just ad- adventure kind of books, and, you know. Uh, I kind of have a mix of uh, of books that I read, but it's typically, if I'm reading something that's uh, just for enjoyment, it's it's something of adventure. And I read read a couple of books about mountain climbing, and and these these men who they they just yearn to go to the mountains. And I and I think of them, and and they would some of them would write about it in their their, their space between climbing Mount Everest or, or the, as their um, as they're gearing up for that, they're thinking about it, and it's something that was in the future, and, and they're there. And, and life is life is actually pretty easy when you're not climbing the mountain, right? <laughs> I mean, life is it's it's great when you when you're there and and you're not like straining to even breathe because the air is so thin, and and your life is in danger, and and that that's what climbing the mountain is is about. There's there's times where it gets tough. It feels uh, it feels like you're, you're strained, but but yet here they were, and they said we were just we're, we're yearning for the mountaintop. I want to get to the mountaintop, and and for them they they had this this desire not to stay to stay at the base of the mountain, but they said I want to get onto the mountain and start climbing. And you know sometimes we can get comfortable just at the base of the mountain, right, church? There's times where, where we can get comfortable just, just saying, you know what? I think I'm good just coming and showing up and, and I'll, I'll pay my dues and make sure that, make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing, you know, at least the bare minimum of what God would have me to do. And, and maybe, maybe sometime, someday I'll, I'll get into the fight and I'll start, I'll start, uh, operating in the giftings and the callings that God has for me. But right now, I'm really comfortable where I'm at. I'm really comfortable just here. And, you know, if God were to ask me to go and pray for somebody, I don't think I could do that because that's a little outside my comfort zone. Or if God were to ask me to, to go and to slip a, a $20 bill into somebody's pocket because God just you know, told me they need it, 
I don't think that I could do that right now because I'm comfortable where I'm at. Right? Or if God, if I'm sitting across the table from a coworker at lunch and they start talking about uh, some of their marital issues or different things that they're, uh, that they're going through, just different uh, uh, battles that they are in at that moment. And, and God prompts me to say, you know what, you've been through that too and I've helped you through it. You want to just speak up a little bit? And sometimes we can get comfortable when we can say, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And we shut down the conversation. When God is saying, I want you to get in on the action. Stop being, stop living in the comfortable space. Stop living in the space where we are not primed for multiplication. See, God desires a church of multiplication. And in order to have a church of multiplication, he needs some multipliers that are out in the fields. And they are doing, they are being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. That's what he is looking for. God desires a bride who learns how to live on top. A bride who learns how to live in the place where they are in, uh, or where they're having sustained spiritual impact on their community. As you go through the Bible, you see in Acts chapter 2, it says that the church was added to daily. What an incredible thing. The church was added to on a daily basis. Every day, there were people that were coming and they were being added to the church. They were there in Jerusalem. That's where the church started. They're there in Jerusalem and people are coming. They're, they're being impacted and they were being added to the church. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, it no longer says that the church was being added to daily. Instead, now it says that the church multiplied. It multiplied. Once they got to multiplication, you'll see that they never went back to addition. In the ninth chapter of Acts, their church was still multiplying. See, read it for yourself. The church went from addition to multiplication. And the only way to go from addition to multiplication is when you have everybody in the church who is making an impact wherever they're at. Mm. Addition can happen when you have just a few that are doing it. But multiplication happens when you have everybody who is saying, I want to play a part of the church, of the addition of the church. I want to play a part in the multiplication of the church. I want to play my part. You see, that is when the church begins to live in a different paradigm. It's when the church is functioning in every capacity. And at full capacity, when the whole member, every member of the church is playing their part. See, the church, it didn't take a step backwards. They were met with persecution and the church grew. There was disagreement within the church, but yet the church still multiplied. The apostles were put to death, but the gates of hell did not prevail against God's church. And this is because they were living in a paradigm of sustained spiritual growth. They learned to live on top. See, people, they live where they're comfortable. They live where they're comfortable. And we can live in this this low-key area where there's no obligation for revival. There's, there's no obligation on me. Everything's always about the future. 
But that's, it's always something that we're looking forward to. I've heard so many messages and I've preached to myself about looking forward to the promised land and revival's coming. It's almost here. But I want to tell you that revival is now. Let's stop thinking about the future. Let's stop talking about revival coming in the future. Revival is right now. We're living in the promised land. We're living in the space. We, time is too short, church. Time is too short. We are in the last days right now. Uh, we are living in the last of the last days. I believe it with our whole heart that Jesus is coming back soon. And if we don't get on board with what he is trying to do, there's been, there are going to be those who will miss out when that trumpet sounds. Broken lives need to be restored and you are going to play a part in that life being restored back to God. See, the paradigm that the church belongs to has a lot to do with the individual relationships that each of us have with God. And I want to I just go through seven different relationships, seven levels of relationship that we may experience with God. The first level of relationship that we see is a shepherd to sheep relationship. It's in Mark chapter 6 verse 34. It says that Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as the sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. See, when we begin our walk with God, it is total dependence upon the shepherd. We can't do anything on our own as sheep. The sheep, they hear God's voice and they respond to it. They follow him. That's the shepherd to the sheep. The next level to our relationship with God is that of a teacher to a disciple. See, Jesus, he told his disciples to the multitudes, he he said, I speak in parables, but to you I speak plainly. Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. See, the crowds, they are the sheep. But you are my disciples. And here there's a graduation from sheep to disciples. And if you hang out with Jesus long enough, you're going to learn the that you're going to learn the disciplines of his lifestyle. And that is what a disciple is all about. Learning the disciplines that, that Jesus Christ would call us to. But there's a, there's a, that, that level of relationship of teacher to disciple. And then you might graduate to a level of master to servant. And say, well, that doesn't seem like a graduation. But after you've been his disciple, he starts giving you orders and he sends you out to do things. You just go out of obedience. Luke 14, 23, the Lord said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges, compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. He tells you to pray and you pray. He tells you to talk to somebody and you talk to them. There's no questions asked. It's master to servant. There's another level of relationship that you can have with God. And it's friend to friends. In John chapter 15 verse 15 it says. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. This is the new level. It's not just servants. But now I call you friends for all things that I have heard of my father I have made known to you. You see, there's some things that you don't tell your servants that you tell your friends. And this is where he starts filling in the gaps. He starts giving you revelation. See, friendship deals with revelation. 
There's, there's different levels, progressive levels of relationship that you can have with God. There's another level of relationship that is father to son. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He trusts you. Whenever, whatever you ask of Him, He will give it to you. The Son knows everything about the Father. He doesn't have to tell you to go and pray for somebody. You just do it. You know, you, you know what God is calling you to do and, and He doesn't, doesn't have to tell you, get up and worship. You just, you just do it. You know, I need to worship God right now. I may not feel it, but I'm gonna worship Him. I'm gonna worship Him. There's another level of relationship that is the brother to brother, sibling to sibling, and there's Joseph and Benjamin. This is their, their kind of relationship that they had. If you go back, back to the children of Israel, in Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, If children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Here, it's this, it's when the one suffers, the other suffers. Your joint heirs with Christ. When one, uh, when one gains, the other gains. That everything here is done together. There's total oneness with one another. That you are bound together. You are close. You become joint heirs with Christ. Well, then this last level of relationship, the seventh level, that I see is this bridegroom with the bride. Isaiah chapter 62 says, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. In this last dimension, it was total oneness. It was complete intimacy between God and his church. Between uh, God, he becomes jealous over us. He says, don't you touch my bride. Don't you touch my bride. Don't, don't go messing with my bride. Got, any, got anybody like that? You say, don't, don't you mess with my bride. Right? You can't, there, there's some things that, that you just cannot say because you're, you're, or else I'm going to have to intervene. Don't go messing with my bride. And, and that's, that's where, what God would, would have with this church. That's what God would have with his bride. See, he knocked down, he knocked Saul down when Saul was on the road to Damascus. He says, why are you persecuting me? Who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the bride. Why are you person, why are you messing with my bride? Why are you messing with them? Because when you mess with them, you mess with me. To each of these levels of relationship, it's, it's a, it's, it's greater and greater access to revelation of what God would, would have for us. He'll tell his disciple things that he won't tell his sheep. He'll tell his servant things that he wouldn't tell his disciple. He would reveal things to the son that he wouldn't reveal to the friends. Things become more intimate and more intimate and becoming the bride of Christ is not just a concept, but it's something that God, He has brought us to a place where He says, I want you to be right here by my side. I want you to be living and experiencing spiritual growth on a sustained basis where you don't have apathy towards me and I don't have apathy towards you. Why does this matter? Why, why, why do we go through these, these levels of relationship? Why, why does any of this matter? What's the big deal that we would progress beyond just a sheep to shepherd relationship? Here, I want to, this is really my text today is in Matthew chapter 17. And so I want to, I want to 
dive into this. It's going to be just a little bit lengthy here. But in verse 1, it says that after six days, Jesus, he took Peter and James and John, his brother, and he bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face is shone as the sun, shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And answered Peter, and he said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Peter always having to talk, thinking that he has something important to say. He says, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. And yet while he spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and they were sore afraid. And Jesus came and he touched them and he said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, Tell the vision to no man. This is, he says, Until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. This was what we would refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. That Jesus, he was transfigured before their eyes. This was uh, something incredible that happened. But uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. It was these three, but, but we see this pattern that Jesus, he, he picked these three individuals, Peter, James, and John, and he set them apart. And in, in this particular case, he brought these three up into this mountain, and they were witness of his transfiguration. This closeness that they had with Jesus, it was something that, that we see throughout his ministry, and, and often Jesus, he would take these three disciples just a little bit further. There's, there, had, there must have been some, a little bit more passion, a little bit more interest in getting to know Jesus with this, these three, Peter, James, and John. And, and, and when, when Jesus, or when God, when he would see a little bit more interest, I, I believe that God, he will call you into, some, in a, into a deeper and greater relationship with him. God, he responds to us when we begin to draw interest in him. He responds to us when we begin to lean into Him. When we say, God, I want to know you more. There's always more that you can know about God. When you begin to get on your knees and you spend time in prayer, God responds to that prayer. It doesn't matter if you have a minister's license behind your name or not. God doesn't care about that. God cares about somebody who is interested in knowing Him. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher or if you're, if you're a greeter. It doesn't matter if you do anything. God, is, God responds to somebody who leans into him and says, I want to know you even more. It doesn't matter what position you have. God responds to somebody who says, God, I just want to spend some more time with you. Would you reveal yourself to me? You dive into his word and he begins to speak to you. He brings life to you. He draws you out. He, bring, he begins to fill in some, some of those gaps of revelation that he didn't fill in with the others. God responds to somebody who responds to him. And so here, here we are. We have this story. These, these three, Peter, James, and John, they're up on the mountaintop. And so revelation begins to take place. And God, he, he begins speaking out of the cloud. And he says, this is my beloved son. He's being revealed as the Messiah. Amazing things are happening up on the mountaintop. This revelation is happening up on the mountaintop. They're there 
way up on the mountain and, and God is revealing himself saying, here I am. This is everything that you've been waiting for. Up on the mountaintop, God is booming out of the lightning and booming out of the, the clouds and saying, this is the one. This is who you have been waiting for. But at the same time, at the bottom of the mountain, there's a different scenario that's being played out. Jesus and the three disciples that he had brought up, they came down from the mountain and he met back up with the rest of the disciples. And if we pick this story back up in verse 14, it says that when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and he's sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and off into the fire, off into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they couldn't cure him. And Jesus answered and he said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. And then came the disciples to Jesus apart and they said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you that if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible to you, howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So we read these two accounts of what was happening while Jesus was up on the mountain. One story is that of Peter, James, and John. They're saying, wow, look what just happened to Jesus. Look at this revelation that's taking place. Amazing things are happening. But the other story is the rest of the disciples who at the same time are at the bottom of the mountain. And they're asking themselves, why can't we cast this devil out? We've never faced anything like this. In fact, you know, this, it's got us in a state of shock or we're, we're bewildered and we're overwhelmed. We're full of all these questions. And, and the account of this story in the book of Mark says that when Jesus came down from the mountain, it says that the, the disciples, that they were questioning themselves. They didn't quite understand why God didn't show up when they prayed. Why, why was the miracle not happening? Why, why, why? They had all these questions and already the doubts about the relationship with God were starting to creep in. And if you ask one group if God is doing the miraculous, they would tell you absolutely God is doing the miraculous. But if you ask the other group at the same time, is God doing the miraculous? They say, I, I don't know. It sure doesn't seem like it. God stopped. And so there's a difference. There's a different paradigm between what's happening on the mountaintop and what's happening at the bottom of the mountain. You have God doing amazing things up on the mountaintop. But at the bottom of the mountain, God doesn't seem to be working. You have lines of people who they are. I believe that, that they would want to be healed. They're, they, but they're, if they're coming to us when we're at the bottom of the mountain, what's going to? We better watch out. If we're living at the bottom of the mountain where we are faithless. Well, God is, God is searching, or the, the world is searching for a church that they don't have faith that's the bottom of the mountain kind of faith. This world is searching for a, for a, a hope of salvation that it's not the bottom of the mountain kind of hope. 
This world is searching for something that's real. This world is searching for a, a, a church that they would, they are experiencing the miraculous where, where there, there is, a church is not dead and, and there is revival that's taking place and God is, is in a, in a, uh, doing the, the miraculous. Revelation is happening that, that there's the lightning and the thunder and all of that. And I'm not saying that church always has to be us running around and it's gotta be crazy and hyped up. No, it can happen in the quiet spaces, but the church is looking for something that's real the world is looking for something that's real and when you have a whole bunch of the bottom of the mountain kind of kind of church where the church is questioning is god real what we need is for Jesus to step in and to remind us, hey, I'm still here, church. I'm still here for you. And I want you to come up to the place of revelation. I want you to get rid of your unbelief. And I want you to begin to climb up on the mountain because I never stopped the miraculous. I never stopped doing the miraculous. All that happened is you allowed the unbelief and the, and the criticism and the, and the, all these questions to come up in your mind of whether or not I'm still doing what I said I would do. And I want you to know I never stopped. I never stopped. But you didn't come up on the mountain. See, you can have a relationship with God while at the bottom of the mountain. But realize that there's greater level of access and revelation that's available to us when we begin to climb and to say, God, I want to spend some more time with you. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be, there's going to be times that, that, that God would call you out of your comfort zone. But that's what happens up on the mountain. You get out of your comfort zone. I, I hope I'm getting my point across here today. Because what God is trying to do is he's trying to get somebody to, to, to understand that you are part of what he wants to do with the church. That you play a pivotal role in this end time revival. That in order for the church to live in a space of the, 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 the church is living on top, that means that you are living in a space that is uncomfortable at times. Where you say, God, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could lay hands on them and, and pray that they would be healed because I've never seen anybody be healed before when I laid hands on them. Do you believe the scripture? Do you believe that what he is calling you to do and it, when, it, when that opportunity arises that it's not about you, but it's about him? If they're not healed, that's not on you. Because if you believe that that's on you, then you're also going to take credit when it does happen. Right? It's not about you. It's about God. And he's calling you up the mountaintop today. He's calling you to a place where he says, would you just believe that the miraculous still happens? Would you, would you come into a space where, where you're going to have to shut yourself in every once in a while and not fill yourself up with entertainment? See, entertainment can, can keep us at the bottom of the mountain because entertainment is comfortable. It's a comfortable space. We can sit there and be a couch potato all day and we can, but it's not helping our, our relationship with God one bit. 
But God is calling you into a place of prayer. God is calling you into a space where he, he says, I want to I wanna begin to reveal myself to you through my word. And God is calling a church right now to get, all, get away from the bottom of the mountain and say, would you just come up a little bit higher? Because I have some more revelation for you. And I have greater things and greater access for the church. And what I want, what I want most is a church that is impacting their world. A church that isn't questioning questioning whether or not I'm still doing what my word says I did. But no, I want a church who's alive. I want a church who is confident in my word. I want a church who is confident in who they are as my sons and my daughters. I want a church who is confident in who they are as the bride of Christ. And they have access to everything that I have in here. They have access. Come on. You can talk about it. You can talk about climbing the mountain. There can be a whole lot of stories told about wishing that I could climb the mountain. There's a whole lot of stories that can be told about, whoo, this revival is going to be amazing. When God, come on, God, we're, we're, we're getting ready for revival. God's getting ready to do it. But what, ha- what's, what God is looking for is not about, not a, uh, He's getting ready to do it. It's a, God, do it in me right now. God, if, they, if it takes me first, let me just draw a circle and I'm going to step into it and say, God, God, fill this circle with revival. God, start with me. God, would you revive me? Would you allow me to get on fire for you? I don't want the roller coaster of highs and lows. I'm tired of the doubts and fears always creeping in. God, let me trust you and be a capable leader and have sustained revival in myself. See, if the church is truly going to have impact, and I'm coming to a close here quickly. If our musicians want to come. How do we climb the mountaintop? How do we go from sheep to the disciple, to the servant, to the friend, to the son, to the brother, to the bride? How do we access each new level of re- this relationship with God? See, first of all, you have to do the same thing as what you would do in any other relationship. Spend quality time with Him. Get to know Him beyond an experience that's encompassed within these four walls. We need to cultivate a prayer life that goes beyond just asking for our wants and our needs. We need to study his word for ourselves so that we know more about who he is. Secondly, when you get on top, you can't allow yourself to be persuaded by the people who are at the bottom. Who say that God isn't moving anymore. See, when Peter, James, and John were on the top of the mountain with Jesus, they saw his transfiguration. They had that revelation that came to them. And Jesus told them, I don't want you to talk about what just happened up here on the mountaintop. Not until I've resurrected. Because if they were to talk about it, then the people in bottom who had all these questions about why they couldn't cast out a demon, and they couldn't do this or that, they're going to respond with doubt. And Jesus wanted them to internally process what they had just witnessed. He was asking them to chew on it just for a little while. He said, I want your faith to remain strong. I don't want somebody else to tear it down. It's human tendency to allow others, other people's doubts and fears and their experiences to creep into our own thoughts and 
and you know, we, we have something that happens and up on the mountaintop doesn't mean that every time that you pray for somebody that they're healed. It just means that I have faith that if God's asking me to pray for somebody, I'm going to do it. If God's asking me to go and witness to somebody, then I'm going to go and I'm going to tell my story. The transformation of what God did in my life. And you begin to come alongside somebody else. You begin to disciple them. You see somebody who they're hungry for God. And it's, it's not about, would you, would you come to my church? Or you should come to my church because you, know, you get into the church and you, or you get into a service and incredible things are going to happen. No, it's, it's God saying, would you just come alongside them and would you be Jesus to them? Would you be Jesus to them? Would you disciple them? God's looking for somebody who would disciple somebody else. He's looking for a church of disciple makers. See, so often I hear about, about burnout or being stretched too thin, having no time to really be effective doing anything. And, and first of all, I believe that, that God has given you everything that you need to be sustained. And you're only burned out when there's no more source for a fire to be kindled. But God is the source of that fire. God is the source of the fire. So if you feel burned out today and you, you feel like, I don't have anything else to give, you're calling me to climb the mountain today, Pastor, and, and I'm here and I don't have anything else to give. I, I can't climb a mountain. I'm not equipped to climb a mountain. God will equip you. God will give you the strength. When you lean into Him, He will give you everything that you need. If you feel burned out He's the source of the fire that you need. The body of Christ will be here. It'll sustain you. It'll, it'll help you when the body is functioning as a body. Amen. There's, there's, there's that one member that comes alongside you and picks you up. Things are getting tough. See, if this church is going to have the kind of impact that I believe it's capable of having, then we need to work together as the body of Christ. If we could stand all around this place, I'm going to open this altar up. If anybody wants to just come and respond to God, this is, He's working on your heart. If you feel that call, that, that burden to come and to, to say, God, I'm tired of the peaks and the valleys, and I'm tired of, of living on, on below, below the means of access that you, that you have for me. If you, if you truly want to come to a place where God is functioning in you and he's, he's using the giftings and the ministries that, that he has placed within you. Would you, just, would you just make your way up to an altar right now? Would you respond to him as, as he's saying, would you, come on, you can have access to more. You can have access to more. Don't, don't live in your unbelief. Don't live in that space where it is clouded with all the unbelief down at the bottom of the mountain. I want you to experience Revelation. I want you to experience what it means to tap into my, my power, my, my might. I, I want you, I want the church to be alive. I, w- I want you to be alive. I want, when you talk to somebody else, uh, who, who they're, they're, they're hurting and I, I don't want you to talk to them out of your brokenness. I want you to talk to them about how you've been healed, about how you've been transformed. I want you to talk to them out of hope, not out of not out of a place where you are hopeless. 
God wants to instill hope in you right now. God wants to begin to transform you. God, come on, as you come up the mountain, you may, you may feel like, like it's hard, but God is, He's gonna begin to transform some things inside of you. As He reveals Himself to you, God begins to heal you. Jesus, I worship you. God, would you bring us to the mountaintop? God, would you help us to live on the mountaintop? God, I'm not going to be satisfied living down in the valley. God, I don't want to be as a church satisfied living in the place of unbelief or living in the place, God, where we where we don't know whether or not you're going to come through. But God, I have my full confidence in you. In Jesus' name.